Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Water Trio Astrology Podcast. I'm here with my dear friends and colleagues, Alicia and Cassandra, and we're going to be talking about the astrology of the middle of May, specifically the time frame from May 11 to May 24. And I don't know about you gals, but this is a time frame that I have been looking for looking forward to, I guess, since mid-March when all this um, restrictions started increasing. And one of the reasons for that is that we're going to have a big sign change with Mars on May 13, when Mars will move into Pisces and out of Saturn ruled signs and Saturn co-presence where he's been for 12 weeks. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the show this week. We also have the new moon in Gemini coming up on May 22nd or May 23rd if you're in Australia, which creates this very super Gemini period. So more about that today as well. But we are going to start, I've kind of retrograded myself with our topics here. (laughs) We're actually going to start with uh, the retrograde vibe, which is also happening mid-month because Unusually, in a four-day period, we have three of the traditional classical planets, Saturn, Venus, and Jupiter, all going retrograde within a few days of each other. Now, you've probably heard about Venus going retrograde, which happens on Wednesday, May 13, same day Mars changes signs, so definitely mark that day for the mid-month mood shift. Um, But Saturn and Jupiter are also going retrograde uh, this week as well. So, gals, what are you thinking about this week? How are you conceptualizing it as you're talking to clients and and thinking about it for yourselves? So many things. Um, Even though it's kind of a busy week astrologically, there's so many changes and things happening, it's definitely not a week, I don't think, that you can expect a lot to happen. Great call. And it's, it's going to be, you know, maybe a grinder in some ways or things that you thought were going to go ahead may kind of do an about turn or just the sense of I just keep coming to the idea of yes but not yet so there's this kind of relief oh thank god Mars is out of all this you know Saturn influence but then Venus doing her thing of course Jupiter and Saturn doing their thing there's this kind of like almost like uh, I get the feeling of you know the old phrase, uh, robbing Peter to pay mm. Paul. So it's kind of like you get to, say, to to do one thing, but then the another thing is taken away. Um, so it's sort of almost like, you know, you think of the benefic planets, they can give and take away, whereas the malefics just take mm. away. And the malefics are as equally as active this week too. So I don't know, I, f- I feel like there's this anticipation of relief but this, uh, like, disappointment at the same time, I'm just going to say it out there, disappointment. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's just not going to be the party we would really love it to be right now. So totally. how about you, Leash? Have you got any ideas around it? Well, I think the message that came out from our state premier today summed it up perfectly in that, you know, some of the school classes are going back to school on the 11th, but most of us are home, still homeschooling until the 25th. And it's that feeling of we were almost there. We almost kind of had the taste of normality back, but we've still got to hold on that little bit longer. And that idea, yeah. I loved what you were saying about, you know, you kind of can't quite get there. Retrogrades are really turning us inward in many ways. And I'm looking at it as a period of strong recalibration. I think it's really interesting that so many conversations I've had with people around COVID-19 have been like, we've actually really loved what's been happening. We've been really loving being at home. There's a lot of simplicity that's come with it. 
And it's almost like we have to have this chance to recalibrate this extra time before we step out so that things can change, so that things can be different. So we don't just go back into the old patterns of busyness. So I feel like all these planets all stopping and stationing this week and then turning backwards is that chance to kind of turn inwards and go, well, what do we really want? Review our priorities and reassess what we want on the other side of this period. So yeah, that's my take. Yeah. Some beautiful points. Cause it really has this feeling of like, um, sort of whether it's two steps forward, one step back, or you thought this was going to move and now it's not. Um, I heard a beautiful description, um, for the month of May by, uh, another astrologer, a friend and colleague, Nina Griffin, who did just a short May overview video on YouTube. And her theme for the month of May is the carnival. And she said, the reason I've chosen the carnival, it's this big celebration, but the normal rules don't apply. You know, um, you, you know, a woman can act like a man, you know, a worker can act like a slave or, you know, the, the origins of this, uh, celebration is that normal rules don't apply. And it feels like we're seeing a lot of that in this middle of May period where, you know, normally kids go to school, for instance, and now they're not or they kind of are, but it's unclear because with the Venus retrograde particularly, have we moved forward, but now we're going to pause or we're in a holding pattern. So, and I think one of the things we were talking about in our pre-show chat is that Venus is just in this Neptune haze for so much of the month of May. So there is this real lack of clarity, lack of clear, you know, what's going on. Um, Cass, you used a word that is actually one of my favorite words for Neptune. And that is the idea of disappointment, that we often get this sort of overly hopeful vibe or our imagination, like we dare to dream, what if this will come back? Or what if it can be better in this way? And then we have to work through how reality sometimes falls short of that hopeful imagination space. And that's where we might be dealing with a few disappointments. So it sort of feels a bit like take things with a grain of salt, like move forward where you can, but it feels very much the other image I use a lot for Neptune, you know, because Venus will station retrograde on Wednesday at 21 Gemini, still square Neptune. And it feels like clouds, like trying to walk on clouds or trying to see clearly when, you know, the clouds in the sky, it's like what shape do they make? And you see one thing and somebody else sees something else. And it's there's a lot of uh, possibilities without a lot of substance, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's like trying to attack attack life again with a quarantine hangover. Yes, or maybe a quarantine <laughs> yes. belly that grew from eating your body weight <laughs> or in melted chocolate. <laughs> Diabetes. <laughs> And it feels like Christmas, like I've, I've like in part what you said about Nina kind of reminded me a bit of how I've described, you know, this sort of period is a bit like intermission. We kind mm. of strapped ourselves in for all the kind of Mars satin stuff. That was the first act. Now we've got intermission. And then the second part of the act, you know, if we see 2020 as a play, then the second act begins at the end of June. And now we're just entering in that intermission phase have a little bit of a break we go get a you go to the bathroom go grab another drink at the bar and come back and we'll take our seats again at the end of June and then be like oh shit <laughs> you know what's this gonna look like so you know Nina sort of said the carnival and I've kind of called it the intermission so um yeah so it's almost been like this period of 
between Christmas and New Year where you don't know what day yes. it is and you don't know what you're meant to be doing and, uh, you know, if you haven't pushed your body to the brink of alcoholism and diabetes, <laughs> well, you haven't really done this properly. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, obviously that's not the case for everybody, but, uh, um, you know, I've been indulging a little bit these this last week or so because I wanted to feel like it was quarantine <laughs> just for a little bit. So <laughs> just have that little bit of a... Just, I guess, the Venus-Neptune vibe of just feeling like a, I can just relax and watch some Netflix. So I've indulged in that and it's been really well, nice. Well, and that's yeah. the point because we're recording this just after the first Venus-Neptune square and I had my first mm. weekend off in a couple of weeks and it was just so relaxing. I think I read two books or something over the weekend. Yeah. Um, so it was just really good to do that chill vibe. Um, Lee, sorry, you are going to say something there. I think we were both um, so inspired by Cass. We started speaking at the that's same time. Right. <laughs> You're in, you're in mutable heaven. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> um, no, I just, but the other thing I wanted to bring into this was the fact that the Venus retrograde is happening conjunct the fixed star of Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And she is mm-hmm. the female warrior, but she often can be on the side of lost causes. Hence why the Bellatrix um, in Harry Potter was on Voldemort's side. Uh. And not that it's all bad and heavy like Bellatrix in Harry Potter is, but there's just this idea that we might be pushing ourselves for lost causes or we might be, you know, getting into that Neptunian fighting a battle on behalf of somebody else and falling victim to somebody else's ideals. So it's that whole idea of, you know, check where you're battling with this and, you know, just I guess with the retrograde, let go. Um, Sometimes it can be, okay, like I've just had to face the fact that, you know, I was actually hoping and praying my daughter would go back to school a little bit earlier, but it is what it is. So there's nothing that we can do and just taking those expectations off the table um, instead of pushing and fighting an uphill battle. That's a really good point, Leash. I think being flexible is so critical through this middle part of May. And I wanted That's to just... That's the beauty of Gemini. Right, Gemini, brings the flexibility. Neptune, yeah. all the mutable, mutable activation, which just increases as well once Mars moves into Pisces. Um, yes. I just wanted to add one quick... Um, Cass, you mentioned the Venus retrograde, you know, until late June. So there's a timeline there from mid-May to late June with Venus retrograde. Jupiter and Saturn going retrograde. Jupiter goes retrograde uh, May 11th um, around 1 Aquarius and till mid-September. Sorry, I think Saturn is retrograde till the end of um, September. Sorry. 29th of September, yeah. Um, No. Jupiter's retrograde until the 13th of September. Yeah, so so Saturn and Jupiter going retrograde, they both tie into the second half of September. They're retrograde. So it does feel a little bit like... You know, there's a, a particular type of pattern or setup or format that is coming in around mid to late May that may hold until that September period and then we'll get another iteration of something. Um, and, you know, I always think about that with Jupiter and Saturn as being, um, you know, two more substantial planets. To traditional classical astrologers, they are the outer planets. So their cycles and their retrograde can show longer time frames or larger events. So it is you know, on by any stretch, it's a lot of significant things happening between May 11 and May 14 with with those things going on. Yeah, and taking Cass's point, you know, about the intermission, it is like we've been shown the trailer 
of yes. like the end of the year. And now we've like, okay, we've got to go back to the cutting room. We've got to edit. We've got to work it all out. You know, how did the audience respond? What do we want to put in it? Because, you know, we've got Saturn backing up towards um, back towards Pluto and back towards um, all the Capricorn. And then we've got Jupiter backing up qu- pretty quickly towards Pluto too at the end of June. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of ground that's going to be revisited July September um, that we need to get ourselves prepared for, but we've already learnt the lessons, so it's kind of taking those into account. Totally. Initially, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of retrograde action. Um, anything either of you guys want to say on that before we um, change topic here? I think. Mm, I mean, we could really talk about Venus retrograde. So many things. I mean, I think we probably just should throw out maybe a little something about about the maybe the technicalities yeah, like the of Venus retrograde. Yeah. yeah, you know, this is the same retrograde that occurred midway through 2012. Venus retrogrades in the same sign every eight years, and so we've had. Gemini uh, retrograde, you know, happening now, um, happened again eight years ago. It'll happen the next time eight years from from now. So, you know, we we really, I guess, dealing with issues around, um, you know, at a very basic level, communication in relationships and maybe giving voice to desires that we might normally push down or not talk about or, or turn a blind eye to. But the tricky part is really figuring out what that is when it's in that aspect with Neptune. It's like, is this what I really wanted or is that what I really wanted or is this all it is or is this actually all it is? It's kind of like hope and optimism or is it disillusion and disappointment? And I think I know when I was saying, uh, you know, in some content I provided for um, my subscription and it was like, it kind of might depend a little bit on your own predisposition towards hope and positivity in relationships or are you a little bit more of somebody who maybe sees the faults before you see the good mm. and that might kind of be your barometer between hope and optimism or disappointment and disillusion. Assuming that the status quo in a particular relationship hasn't changed, you know, things are kind of just, you know, if you're still together, you're still together, but it's just how you feel about it could be shifting and changing a little bit around this. Um, I know I have a personal disposition to see the worst first. So I will see the, you know, the disappointment or the disillusion before I see all the hope and optimism. Whereas, you know, you girls, you know, I'm not going to speak for <laughs> you, <laughs> but I know I'm, I'm you can, <laughs> but guys. I know like, <laughs> I know I'm always the voice of reason generally, like, you know, <laughs> dump him. <laughs> but I mean, we're, no, you I know, definitely and like, I think it it's can really work Im- out. I'll, we can make it work. <laughs> He's got potential. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm like, lose him. But I, so I think sometimes, you know, and I experience this with clients when they're like, oh, my God, a Venus retrograde, you know, what's going to happen? I'm like, okay, well, let's break down what your maybe your Venus disposition is natally. Like what what's the promise there or, you know, what's your barometer for hope and optimism at the best of times? And so I think that can be helpful to how it's going to work out for you 
particularly if this retrograde doesn't actually activate anything, you know, really tightly in your chart. It might just be a house area or you're not a very mutable person. And, you know, this can be a way that how can I think about this retrograde for myself? Maybe it is about cleaning off the, the rose colored glasses in your own life, or maybe you're better off putting them on for a little while and just enjoying the ride. So there's that too. What about you girls? What do you think about this uh, 40 days? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to bring up is the, is the whole thing that Venus retrograde is linked to 40 days and 40 days across all religions um, is often a time of fasting, of letting things go so new things can come in. And it just, I don't know, this one just really reminds me about the 40 days that the Israelites wandered in the desert and the idea that they had to pass challenges or go through tough times to be able to get to the promised land, to the land of milk and honey. Mm. So there is that feeling of working out what our priorities are. You know, the point mm. of this is the whole idea from, you know, from Jesus wandering through the desert for 40 days to um, Muhammad at 40 years old becoming enlightened because he had times of retreat. The whole idea is that when we come to a very core point, a very core place in ourselves where we let go of a lot of the externals, we can understand a lot more about what we want, what our real priorities are. And I think that that's many, what many of us have done in this time of retreat that we've been forced into anyway. So as we start to step out into the world, I think the Venus retrograde is going to be calling, the next 40 days are going to be calling us into, okay, as you go out, what do you like? What are you enjoying? Or what are you not? And how can you kind of hold both and then compare both and keep so we don't just rush back into that cycle of busyness and craziness that was life pre this. So, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, no, I, I always think of Jesus having 40 days in the desert when I think of Venus mm. retrograde. Um, I think it was like one thing from my Catholic upbringing that I'm like, oh, I can see the connection, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Um, just to add into that, you know, because what Venus does in the sky when she's retrograde, she's in this period of invisibility or darkness. She vanishes from the sky. She's so close to the sun, you know, certain proximity factors and things like that, that we actually can't see her. And the ancient Egyptians had this whole mythology about Venus descending into the underworld where she goes through these trials and tribulations and then she's able to sort of return. And as part of the retrograde, Venus will switch from morning and evening star. So she changes her place in the sky. Um, and I can never remember off the top of my head, so I'm just going to quickly check. She's going from an evening to a morning. Evening to morning. I always have to see the yeah. chart to see it. Um, yeah, so yeah. she's been an evening star and, and then she goes invisible and when she reappears, she reappears in the morning sky before the sun rises. So, um, <laughs> And she's much more independent in the morning sky. She's more in her kind of warrior Venus version. She's more... Um, She's fiercely independent, the morning star Venus, versus the evening star Venus is more of the collaborative, partnership-oriented style of Venus. So it's when you when you kind of bring in what's going on with Venus in the sky and the deep ancient mythology attached to that, the Venus retrograde itself does become this kind of call to reflection, this call to question and the call to mm. reorient, you know. Venus vanishes in the west and then appears in the east. She changes her whole perspective and orientation. So, mm. and the Venus retrograde um, 
cycle is one of the oldest cycles to have been studied after like the cycles of the sun and moon. So it's mm. it's historically yeah. way more significant than other retrogrades and other, you know, we hear a lot about Mercury retrograde, for instance, but the, there's so much mythology around Venus's retrograde. And the beauty is she's so bright, you know, just before she goes into the, under the beams yes. because she's close to the sun. So she's reflecting a lot. So you really do get to capture that beauty on either side of the, of that retrograde period. Um, and, you know, there's also the idea that this is a, in her cycle when she's going through this retrograde, she's going through a period of maturity and she's coming out the other side with more understanding and more knowledge um, and more wisdom. So um, there's another sense of that as well in the sonotic cycle of, you know, she's got more to share or she's experienced, you know, this is the, this is the lover that knows what she wants rather than just going along with what the other partner wants to do. Yeah, so there's so much there on the Venus. Yeah. I feel like we could keep going, but we should uh, switch to, we're going to talk about Mars, Mars going Pisces. into Pisces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What do you girls <laughs> think about this one? Well, Mars taking a dip in the ocean, huh? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm really in love with this personally. I'm with the idea that, look, it's good that Mars is getting away from Aquarius and moving away from Saturn and all and, and, and from under Saturn's sign. But this is Mars revisiting Mercury and Pisces and all the retrograde action that was going on there earlier this year. So my wonder is, is he going to be activating all of that area there? So Mars in Pisces, you know, this is action through fantasy. Um, this is digging into the dreams, the wishes, the visions that we can put out into the world and how we can get active with that. But I just, it's so hard right now to kind of know what that looks like. I don't know. What about you girls? Have you got thoughts on this? So many thoughts. I think I'm stealing <laughs> your line, Cass. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I describe this Mars in Pisces? Maybe like a nice lip balm on chap lips. It feels good for a minute but the lips are still chapped. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a soothing ointment, but definitely um, not a cure, I mm. guess. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't get excited about it. It will provide relief, but that relief is just going to be really temporary um, because of where Mars is going. So I think maybe enjoy it while you can, um, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to like find a silver lining to it's this. It's not Aquarius um, and it's not I'm Aries. I mean, they're the good things. I mean, it, it's definitely yeah. highlights into that intermission, that interlude that you were talking about mm. but to, because they're they're pretty big areas where Mars has seen some really tough, tense action, but I still don't love uh, well, Mars and I mean, Pisces. Okay, maybe we're going to have a disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I you mean, disagreeing this time, Kel. It's I usually Cass do. and I. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a bit of triplicity rulership, so it's like not the worst Mars that is available. But anyway, Kel, yeah, okay, you tell so- us, please. <laughs> Come please on, bring the Pisces. Sprinkle some sugar. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have some facts to back up my Pisces vibes here. Um, 
Yes. So first up, I'm very happy that Mars is leaving a sign ruled by Saturn and also the co-presence. So co-presence is a fancy word where Mars and Saturn have been in the same sign together. Now that does happen for six weeks every two years, but normally it doesn't happen when the two planets are in a sign ruled by Saturn. That's a little bit unique. And we usually just get six weeks every two years. And in 2020, we've had 12 weeks because Mars and Saturn changed signs. They were together in Capricorn from mid-Feb to late March. Mm. And then in a weird quirk of coincidence or synchronicity, Mars and Saturn both changed signs into Aquarius um, late March, which is another sign traditionally ruled by Saturn. So I, I personally sort of think that the Mars Saturn co-presence, this extended 12-week thing, has been a lot of the immediate frustrations and limitations. I think symbolically there's a real sense that the the day-to-day frustrations have been a, described a lot by that. I don't think Mars coming into Pisces fixes everything because there are much larger themes still going on, Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn Pluto, that will play out throughout the year. Um, but I'm very happy. M- Mars is like... It's like you've been staying with a grumpy old relative that watches your every move and doesn't let you stay up late and makes you eat, you know, organic quinoa all the time, you know, and even though it's a gluten-free <laughs> grain, even I can't stand that much quinoa, you know. So it's it's like, oh, now I can make some choices. Now I have a few more options. I like the wetness. I think it's going to help with connectivity, which might be nice psychologically and socially. I worry a little bit about what that means for spread of disease, for instance. Yeah. Um, I like that Mars is going to have a little bit of dignity. Like you said, Cass, Mars has triplicity rulership in the water signs. So it feels like a portion of society that, you know, Mars might represent, whether it's the essential worker or just the everyday, you know, Jane and Joe Smith. There's a sense of we've, we've got something now. We've got... Um, you know, bargaining rights or we've got a position to stand on or we're not as barren as we were before. For me personally, the thing that I'm so happy about is my chiropractor is allowed to practice again. You know, here in Belgium, the chiropractor was chiropractic care was not considered an essential service. So all chiropractors haven't worked for two months or something. And I know that's very much, you know, a first world problem that that's, you know, I'm in a very good position that that's the biggest issue that I have that I haven't seen my chiropractor for two months. But that to me is like, oh, I've got a little bit more ease now. Uh, Mars coming into Pisces. It is a transition because Mars uh, Mars will be six weeks in Pisces, mid-May to the end of June. So I think one thing we could say is whether you like the Mars in Pisces vibe or not, it'll be around for about six weeks um, and we'll see where it takes us. Um, I don't think it's perfect, but I do think it's a big step up from, you know, worry a little bit about Mars coming to Neptune, which will be happening in June. But I'm just happy that Mars is not in Capricorn or Aquarius. Um, I don't mind Mars being in those signs normally. Mars in Pisces, of course, is ruled by Jupiter. So then we're still back in Capricorn territory. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just like a step removed, which is why it's like we get some things back, but not everything. Um, So Jupiter's not in the best. Yeah, Jupiter's not. There's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're great thoughts. Thanks, Kel. And I guess. I mean, I do agree with you in some way, but I just, I don't know. I just think Jupiter is not in its great condition right now and it's not really adding to the help for this either. It is better than Saturn, but um, 
it's just this feeling, I don't know, when you were describing the staying with the relative, I was just thinking of, you know, this crazy aunt who has absolutely no rules and you kind of go and stay at her house and you've got no idea when dinner's going to be served or, you know, what's going to be served for dinner. Um, but I do think, you know, there is the possibility for this for support for the vulnerable people in our society, which with this virus and with the situations right now has been really highlighted. How many people live paycheck to paycheck? How many people haven't been able to get access to care and health and support that they need? So this might be the directive, the time where we can really put compassion into action um, and, t- and take some energy into that place. Have you got any other thoughts on it, Cass? Yeah, the overcoming square to Venus. Do you want to translate that for everyone? (laughs) Well, we are having kind of Mars coming, trying to come back towards Venus. Um, They didn't quite connect uh, last month. So, you know, Mars is forming, you know, when we have a, you know, a square, it's kind of like, okay, well, who's in the more dominant position or who's Mm -hmm. Trump and who or however you might like to describe that. And so Mars is you know, the top dog in the situation. So it is kind of Mars dominating Venus. So it might even have, you know, it's got flavours here of all the things we've already said, but, you know, Mars being the malefic planet already further working towards compromising Venus, who's also not in great shape. So, yeah, that's what I mean. Like I think there's the opportunity for, like some kind of soothing ointment that might feel good as a temporary fix or a temporary measure. Um, but the over, but it's not really going to, you know, cure the problem or fix the problem. Um, and of course, as Mars and Venus get that little bit closer together, you know, that kind of might, you know, you know, might be enough volatility to kind of bring out the problems or bring out things, but yeah, I don't know. Let's talk about it again in six weeks. <laughs> well, Mars will be done. Mars will be done with Pisces in six weeks. I mean, that cycle exactly. will be over. Um, yeah, we could reflect, you know, all the Pisces reflections right. instead. So, yeah. But, I mean, again, it's, yeah, I mean, I- I'm hopeful. I'm trying to be hopeful. Um, so just, here's a question yeah. for you, Gals. Would you rather Mars stayed where he is or are you at- – like, or are you like, oh, no, I'll take the ch- the change, the breath of the change of energy? Or do you like, I'd rather same, same? I think probably because for me, I just know where Mars is going and how long that's going to be and what, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, shit, we're really in this kind of like fantasy land now for the next six weeks where we can just kind of maybe turn our blinkers on to what's coming. Might feel good for the moment, but, you know, um, so I guess that's it's the trepidation of that. That is probably the part that, you know, it's like I'll just use a training analogy because that's the thing that comes um to me the most easily it's like you have a deload week and so you you know you train up to a peak and then you train a little bit you still go through the motions but with less intensity so you're giving your body a rest it's kind of like an active recovery week and then you ramp things up again and you're not really resting it's like a false rest and sometimes it's it can actually create more muscle soreness it can create you know um not problems, but it can create responses or reactions that you don't expect that you're going to experience because you're just training just that little bit differently, giving your body different stimulus. And so I feel like the next six weeks, we're coming into it feeling like it may be like a deload period, 
But then we know that that training or that action is going to ramp up a bit and it's then it's like really the the oh shit. <laughs> so that's how I, I feel like it's a bit of a deload. So anybody who does any form of training or, or can, you know, um, make the analogy fit, it's sometimes like the rest that you take before you then start up again and you then you look back and you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have even rested. You know, sometimes it can be like that. So, you know, I know rest is everyone's rest and self-care, but sometimes it is a little bit easier to just be the wind-up soldier until the, the job is done or the thing is finished. So I'm just a bit nervous about no, the no, rest, I, like, I think. So part of all, to, to, like, be really clear for our listeners, you're anticipating problems with Mars moving into Aries, which happens um uh, late June, early July. June. Um, yeah. But what you're saying about Mars in Pisces for the next six weeks is it's like a change in pace, which often feels good at the time, but can lead to unexpected responses or reactions that you then have to deal with. Possibly. It's like, you know, when you're really looking forward to a holiday and then you take the holiday and then then you go back to reality and, you know, it's like, oh, should I have even had the holiday or you know, was it really worth the disruption of it? I don't know. This is, I could go yeah, on and on, that's, but that's just Yeah, and of, I just wanted to clarify because yeah. I think that's really helpful for people is like the Mars in Pisces change of pace because that's probably really the theme here is that Mars has been in the wind-up soldier satin rulership of just keep going, just keep to your routines, just stick at it. And Mars mm-hmm. coming into Pisces will definitely have, like you said, Leash, like the art that now, the crazy art, you don't know what time the meals are coming. You've kind of gone from one extreme to the other of like extreme rules and regulations to almost complete freedom. And mm-hmm. that while on paper that sounds good, it can feel overwhelming or discombobulating, I guess. So there's way more fluidity and flexibility that can be like, can be a bit unsettling, I guess, or have a lack of clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going for a walk. Sorry, Leash, you go. No, no, it was just notes, okay? It's gone. You, I, I guess it ha- it depends <laughs> on where it's happening in your chart too. Like to your to answer totally. your question, Kel, no, I wouldn't prefer it to stay where it is. I would prefer it to be in Pisces than it is in Aquarius. But, you know, it's like it's about to enter my 12th house, so I'm really not looking forward to that. Right. Um, so I guess for people it will depend. And it, it is really bringing even more energy, even more emphasis to the mutable areas of our chart, which are already being highlighted by retrogrades and, you know, um, Venus retrograde and the squares to Neptune, uh, the nodes changing signs. So it's all this kind of extra energy that's going to be going hand in hand with this that I just think it'll be new for people. I don't know. I guess I feel like the the cardinals are handing it off to the mutables right now. I like that. Yeah. And I I was going to say this before when we were talking about Venus-Neptune square. I think this is the real shit. The the thing is that the, the Gemini part of your chart and the Pisces part of your chart Mm-hmm. Second half of May, you're going to learn so much about these parts of your chart. You're, you're going to learn about whether you the, want to or not. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you're like ready. The Gemini part of the chart is getting a once in eight year activation. The Pisces part of the chart is getting a once in two year Mars activation. But also, though, it's the like nodes. how do these two? Well, in addition to the nodes, but how do these two parts of your chart? work together or how are they at odds with each other you know as the planets make aspects from gemini to pisces 
And it is an opportunity to help, you know, because this can be two areas of tension or it can be, you know, and so this is the opportunity to work with that tension and go, okay, how can I sort this part and this sort that? So they're not at odds with each other so that I can do a bit of this and do a bit of that. Um, yeah. I love it. And we're having such a mutable discussion because we're bouncing around <laughs> with like 25 <laughs> different topics all at once. <laughs> And no one's got a thread, but we're loving it. It's great. Well, I mean, I think there are threads there. Actually, but the mutables have got the threads. No, I'm I'm joking. It's me that doesn't have the thread. You you do. You you just contributed to it. (laughs) (laughs) You just totally did. Because that's, I mean, I guess what we're like really, like we're describing sort of the big themes, but the second half of May, which, you know, basically starts May 13 with Mars changing signs and Venus going retrograde, there is a lot more mutable energy and mutable is flexible. It's like, you know, blowing in the breeze, you know, you're coming, you're going, yeah. you're going here, but something, there was a shiny object over there. So now you're going over there. Like it's the tangents mm. and the distractions and the side paths. Mm. Yeah. 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 And then there's one more new, mutable thing that we want to talk I about. Know. <laughs> Cass, do you want to intro this? Because I know you mentioned it in our pre-show chat. The new yeah, moon in Gemini. Was, maybe you, you should lead yeah. us. So, yeah. I think it's, what, three degrees, two degrees? Is that two right? Two something, yeah. So this happens on the 23rd here in Australia, be the 22nd in other parts of the globe. So new moon in very early Gemini. Um, so the new moon in Gemini, I quite like I like it. It's a really fresh kind of energy that comes through with the new moon in Gemini. I always get like the idea of, you know, that curiosity or, you know, like a a kitten or a cat is kind of like sneaking their head around and, you know, wanting to explore and, and find things. But again, like, you know, this is kind of a different type of a new moon in Gemini because while it's got that strong mercurial vibe, on the same day, or at least in the 23rd in Australia, we've got Mercury uh, square Neptune at the same mm-hmm. time. So it's still got that sense of, I think, you know, when I think about Mercury, it's about planning and logistics and thinking, maybe not necessarily always taking action, but thinking about the future or thinking about the next direction or what next tangent am I going to go off? And right now, collectively, like we're not really in a position to make plans about anything. You know, maybe like a week in advance is probably in realistic terms as far as we can go. And so the idea of a new moon in Gemini, you know, let's connect or let's, you know, meet up or let's do things or let's get that kind of more knowledge and information coming through but it's still going to come through with that confusion or that overwhelm or maybe it will be like a deluge of information coming through that it, it's too much to decipher or too much to um to work through and I mean I'm sure as many people know I have Gemini rising so this is a full moon uh, sorry a new moon that I usually do really like but with the Neptune vibe it's like well I still can't make my plans <laughs> and that's what I really like to do around because, you know, it's the first house and the reset of what I want to do for the year. And so there is that still that confusion or uncertainty and, you know, overwhelm um, and kind of like a brain melt, you know, with that Neptune vibe. So it's almost like, yeah, just, just you know, 
throw your cards down on the table, I'm out and <laughs> off you go. Like, I don't know, it just has this feeling like I want to, but I can't or yeah, that just that kind of almost too much Neptune can be a real energy drain. And because when you're trying to, I can never remember which one it is, but I know tuna goes in one direction and <laughs> the salmon goes in the other. And there's this feeling, you know, just in this whole fortnight period of maybe wanting to swim in one, like you're trying to be the fit, the, the tuna when maybe you need to be the salmon or what have you. It's just like more the idea of going with the flow with what you don't know. And if questions or confusion pop up, maybe kind of like just observe that or witness that rather than kind of absorbing it or taking it on like Neptune often will will try and do. So yeah, it's a little bit of a, a foggy new moon in Gemini. Let's put it that way. How about you ladies? What do you think about it? Kel? Um, yeah, I guess I'm having this debate with a few colleagues about how bad is this Mercury-Neptune square going to be. And I'm a little, I don't know if I'm just being totally Pollyanna, I do think Mercury gets quite clouded by Neptune, but I think it only affects a few days because I'm, I'm really excited to see Mercury in Gemini, one of his home signs. And the new moon, I think, I mean, there's so many planets. If you have a look at the chart for the new moon in Gemini, there's like Venus is there, Mercury's there, plus the sun and moon and the north node now. And the node. Yeah, I think if you are curious about what maybe the Venus retrograde is going to be about for you or what the north node in Gemini is going to be about for you, I think really pay attention to the topics, the dreams, or even some of the confusions that you're grappling with around the new moon date, May 22nd, May 23rd. Uh, because I think some of the insights, some of the encounters or some of the experiences you have around this time are really speaking to larger questions or larger choices, larger topics that you're contemplating. Just thinking about, you know, even just the new moon being in the same sign as the Venus retrograde, for instance. Um, so I do think there's a lot of ideas there's a lot of hope and I think we need a couple of days after the new moon for the moon to kind of get settled and then the Mercury-Neptune square to pull apart. I think there'll still be some good stuff there, but I think we might all spin our wheels a little bit, you know, initially right out of the gate. Um, yeah, so I guess that's how I was sort of thinking about it, that it is like a refocus and a push forward, but it's like maybe a bit of a slow start with the Neptune to Mercury, the ruler of the new moon. But what are your thoughts, Leish? Um, I'm more the Pollyanna vibe with this one, mostly because I just really like the flexibility and the versatility that, and we've already talked about this all episode that Gemini brings. Right. So the idea with this is to set intentions in place that help us do that, that help us be more like that. To be able to cope with the current world situation, whatever's going on, is to learn that, you know what, I don't have to be so rigid. Okay. And to be able to kind of, it doesn't matter, do I swim one way, do I swim the other? You know, you can kind of learn from both scenarios. I think um, I was looking at a quote today from, oh God, I can't even believe I don't remember, Keynes, the um, London economist from a long time ago who oh, was yeah. basically saying that, you know, change only happens when we can change our minds. And so mm. it's learning right now, that's paraphrasing, but it's learning right now to be open-minded about things is to mm. have a look at the variety of facts and information that's out there. And I feel like this new moon will help 
tap into that energy and help keep us open-minded about things. And I don't know, there just is so much power in knowledge and so much power in education. And I feel like this new moon can tap into those kind of energies. So yeah, I agree. Neptune's not brilliant, but you know, we've got Mercury in Gemini. It's in its rulership. It does have some power here. So I feel like, yeah, this, there is some possibilities with this new moon. And even if the Neptune fogginess adds to the versatility and the flexibility, that'll, that can be something along with it too. So yeah, that's my take on it all. So, so yeah, a fun, it's sort of weird that we're recording a two week show and the new moon kind of fresh start reset energy is at the end of it but at least everyone will know that heading into the end of may so and it's the last lunation before eclipses start too so there is that that's true yes we go into eclipse season as we roll into june Mm. so okay so that's a very full show this week uh the middle of may where there is a lot of astro activity happening um, what do you guys have coming up in this time frame? Anything you want to let our listeners know about? Um, I'll be doing my new moon group as always, and I've got it slated for that Friday, actually, the 22nd. Um, so hop on to my website to find out more about that. Excellent. What's your website, Leish? Uh, alishayusuf.com. Okay. What's Bad. yours, Cass? CassandraTindall.com. The website and what have I got happening for this this fortnight? So I think I'm actually quite busy in client consults this fortnight and I'm prepping for a talk I'm giving for the ESA Star Club. So if you're a member of ESA, that will be part of your, um, you know, what you get access to as a member. So I think they do a, a webinar each week and then you get their massive, massive back catalogue as well. So that's be the... 1st of June here in Australia, then of course it'd be Sunday the 31st um, in the US. So yeah, that's what I've got on. And how about you, Excellent. Kel? I've got two things to let people know about. I've got my next webinar for Astrology University on sect. Uh, so it's an introduction to the Hellenistic concept of sect, which is looking at day charts versus night charts and how planets can be a little bit different um, depending on whether you're born in the daytime or the nighttime. So we're going to go through what the concept is and how to use it in chart interpretation. So that uh, details about that webinar are on my website, kellysastrology.com, and that's happening on Saturday, May 16. Uh, in the evening in Europe, in the morning in the States, probably very early in the morning if you're in Australia, but the recording will be available if you can't make it live. And the second thing is that the very big online astrology conference, NORWAC, is going to be happening that new moon in Gemini weekend. So from May 22nd to May 25th, um, I'm going to be presenting every day, including doing a post-conference workshop on the predictive pot of gold, how to combine transits and progressions for effective forecasts. So you can sign up via the NORWAC website, norwac.net, I think. Uh, And if you just scroll down to the post-conference workshop, if you want that, you can also sign up for the whole event. And even if you can't listen to all the lectures live over the weekend, you have two weeks to view everything that is delivered during the conference. So if you're interested and you want, you know, a huge infusion of astrology, um, you want to celebrate the new moon that way, the new moon in Gemini that way, you're welcome to join us. Um, I don't know, are you guys going to be tuning in to that at all? I know the time zone's a bit tricky with Australia. And kids on weekends, but um, it's exciting that it's, you know, the, this is one of the, posi- the positive things coming out of this virus is that you can join 
conferences like that and not have to fly all the way from Australia to do it. So totally. yeah, I'm definitely thinking yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, it's um, usually an in-person, I should have said that, it's usually an in-person event in Seattle, mm. but because of um, current pandemic life, uh, we're all going to connect <laughs> online um, for the first time instead. So that'll be different. And there's a great lineup. Yeah, there's some you. amazing speakers. Thank you. Yeah, yeah but other people, um, kind of think of them. I mean, Austin Coppock speaking there, Caitlin speaking, Lisa Scheim speaking. Um, I think Lynn Bell is speaking, Mark Jones, Jason Holly. Um, I'm really excited to see Diana Harper. She's a, um, uh, I guess, a, an astrology practitioner who's uh, been setting up her business over the last few years, and she's going to be speaking at Norwalk for the first time. I think Caitlin Coppock is speaking there for the first time. So there'll be lots and Bear of Rider, great. Bear Rider, Julia Caligrano. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember there'll all of them. But, yeah, speaking. pop onto the Norwalk yeah. website because there's a great lineup of speakers. Cool. So that's, yeah, awesome. that's it from us in Astrology Land this week. So we hope you're all enjoying, I don't know, life as best you can. And, you know, as always, leave us comments in the chat box below. Don't forget to subscribe so you make sure you get all of our latest episodes. Um, so take care, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, gals. Thanks, gals. Bye, everyone. Bye.